I guess one of the positive things of being the pastor. Huh? Um, hopefully we won't have to have to do this again. I already had something something scheduled and couldn't change it. So <clears throat> let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter five, if you would tonight. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse one. But of the times. And the seasons, brethren, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, I guess my question is, Paul is addressing a people that he says, yourselves know perfectly. So it's coming as a thief in the night, but not to everybody. Because Jerry just got there saying, you all know perfectly that it's going to come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. You realize how important it is what you say? Now, when they say, don't say when we say, because we're not going to be saying that. But when they say, whoever they are, sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But you will. Why? You're not saying that. You're saying something different. You're saying, Lord, I want to be ready. I don't want nothing in my heart, nothing in my life, nothing in my spirit. So what we say and what we expect is going to have a great impact upon our destiny and what we're going to get in the end time. <clears throat> There's a lot of things coming in the end time. I personally want to be on the right side of the good stuff. We're going to pray together again. And uh, <clears throat> Brother Homer Blanken over in Virginia started chemo today. And uh, also Sister Ruby's wife has been very nauseous and they have several things going on in their bodies and we certainly want to remember them tonight. Anyone else have a need or request in your heart before the Lord? God bless you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege that we could bow our heads close our eyes and call on Jehovah God. We believe, Father, that we are living in the last days. Many of us have heard it for a big portion of our life that we're in the end time. But because we've heard it so much, it does not devalue that to us. We just know we're one day closer than we were yesterday. We are one more prophecy or as fast as they are happening probably several, than we were when we met here on Sunday. So we believe, Father, that you are giving us a message that will prepare us and help us to be ready. You see the needs of the hands of the people that was represented as they raised them, Father. You see Brother Homer and Sister Ruby tonight, Lord, their needs. And Father, Brother Homer Longoria, been in the hospital, but doing better. And Lord willing, get to come home tomorrow and we're thankful for that. 
thankful for different ones that were here and that you're moving forward. Now we come to <clears throat> this portion of the service tonight and we're asking for your help. Would you just help me that I can get out of the way, Father? Speak through me to your children, I pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So much about prophecy is um, seemingly so difficult for so many people to understand. And um, for some people, they really don't have a desire to understand it or even to read about it. I personally think that if God has it in his word and it's prophetic utterance that whatever's given to me, to my allotment, my appointment, that's what I want to understand. If preaching salvation alone will put you on the rapture, every Baptist church in the world will go. That's pretty much all they preach. Every Methodist church, every church of God, every assembly of God, if that's all that we need to hear is that Jesus died on the cross, then pretty much every church that's an evangelical church will go on the rapture. If all you need to hear is that God loves you, Pretty much every evangelical church will go in the rapture. But if there is a rapturing faith that is needed to go in the rapture, then we hone it down to where it will only come to those who are part of the message of the season and the time. Isn't it amazing that Paul had reminded the brethren there that there was a season and a time of the coming of the Lord. And the end times have been ongoing for 2,000 years, actually. It was the end time of the Hebrew Laodicean age when the Lord Jesus was here. So the end time didn't start 1977 or 1984, 2001, 2020, but the end times have been around for quite a long time. But we believe there's seasons, and I don't think we're just in the end of time, but I believe we're down to the last moments of the end of time. <clears throat> This last few days, we started in our nation our new fiscal year. I don't know if you know it or not how much debt that you inherited by being a U.S. citizen. We started our fiscal year with $31 trillion in debt. Congratulations. 31 trillion dollars in debt. We know that it must come to this. It hurts our hearts, of course, as Americans to see our nation where it is, our government where it is. But how can we expect it to be any different whenever we're handing people out money hand over fist and people don't want to work no more and they don't want to provide for their families. They want to live off of a government check and this and that and the other. Well, come on, saints. Well, my only problem with that is one day it's going to catch up with us. And as I've told you before, our government actually, they, they're not the one who makes this money. They print it, but they don't money it. It, makes it. it actually comes from taxpayers. And there's getting fewer and fewer of them that actually do pay taxes. And those who don't pay taxes is going to overwhelm those who do pay taxes. And whenever it becomes overbalanced, then, of course, we know who's going to step in and pay it off. <clears throat> and that also, of course, is prophetic. But there's so many things 
about the end time that involve prophecy. Some of them are symbols of the Old Testament. Some of them could only be revealed in the New Testament. And here we are at the conglomeration of the end of all of it. We know that in the Old Testament that there were several mountain kingdoms. Now, by that, I mean that God, by vision, would show a certain kingdom, as Daniel saw it, and other of the prophets saw it, and they would see a mountain by vision whenever they would look out in this vision, and they would see a big mountain. And they didn't know exactly what it was until God revealed it to them that that mountain was actually a kingdom. So Daniel sees that and he sees the Gentile kingdoms and he sees a rock that comes out which was not hewn out by hands and it lands upon this image and hits it in the feet which was the Roman kingdom and then that rock actually grows into a mountain. So that rock started out very small, very insignificant, which was the coming of the Lord Jesus, and then it grows into a great rock or a great mountain. So part of these symbols is why you can see people without revelation and understanding, they just read the Bible and they just read it and they're they're more confused once they get done than they were before they started. But to me, if God has it in his word, it's not there to just bring confusion. And there just to say, okay, well, it takes up space in the book of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 11, Revelation 13, Revelation 17. No, if it's there, then it's there for a significance. And if we need it, then God must send a prophet with prophetic understanding to be able to make it clear. Is that right to you as well? Well, we know that, of course, Russia uh, was not existent in its Russian form in the Old Testament, although when the the three sons of Noah came out of the ark, and uh, the Bible, the author of Genesis being Moses, when he began to write about how the three sons of Noah were dispersed upon the earth, and some went toward this direction, some that direction, some that direction, they began to spread over the face of the earth. And Russia was certainly not known by that name. Neither was the United States or neither was many of the countries as we know them today. But Russia, as well as many of the other prophetic nations, have come further into their place of prophecy in the end time. And for many, many years of millennia, actually Russia was not a great power. Yet she was prophesied to be a great power when? In the end time. And we know just in the last few months, of course, with her, the war with Ukraine, uh, she's began to set forth what she is. And many of the nations of the world are looking at Russia and they're seeing some of the weapons that they've got and they're dragging out, of course, some Soviet-era tanks and so on that they've been using. And to me, what this is going to do, it's going to put some of them in a lull to where they will say, well, you know what, Russia is really not as great as we thought they were. And they really don't have that many great powers. Don't you never think that in your mind. She has a place in prophecy in the last day. Now, of course, Mr. Putin has already said that they have weapons that we have no knowledge about and no doubt that they do. But yet, you know, as the bride of Christ, I'm not really worried about what they have or what they don't have. I'm more concerned about getting my heart right and keeping it right before the Lord. 
Is that you? I'm not going to spend one day planning out a bomb shelter. I'm not going to call Summers Taylor and have them to lay out, lay the concrete so deep and a wall so wide and this and that and the other. Uh, the, The covering that I needed, Summers Taylor don't have it. Because if I call Summers Taylor and told them that I need a bride covering for atomic warfare, And they would ask me, okay, sir, so what did you have in mind? And I would tell them feathers. Well, you imagine on the other end of that, they would hang up on me and think, another nut from Johnson City. Well, I know, though, according to the message of the hour, the covering I need, it's not concrete, but it actually is feathers. And it ain't crow feathers, and it ain't scavenger feathers, but it's eagle feathers. So if it's eagle feathers, it must be an eagle prophet that's going to bring it tied in with an eagle message, which is going to bring us to a body change. Now, what I found amazing was that just this week, a nuclear submarine, which has been watched consistently by satellites, has now come up missing. Now, they have this certain base, which is their home base, and this nuclear submarine stays pretty much near the Arctic Circle. And if you know your geography, you know that this certain part of Russia is very part to our, very close to our state, Alaska. And there this submarine stays. There's really no need for it to go anywhere else. But this week they begin to notice in the satellite pictures that this submarine has come up missing. Now this submarine is very unique in itself. In that it carries the poison, the the nuclear missile, which actually is launched from in the water. Now this one comes as a torpedo. It's launched in the water, and when it explodes, it creates a tsunami 1,600 feet tall. Now, remember, there's 5,280 feet in a mile, so this is between a fifth and a quarter of a mile high. 1,600 feet tall, radioactive tsunami. Now, for England, for Japan, for many of those countries which are near an ocean, it will absolutely annihilate them in a few moments of time. There won't be one person left to even write down what they saw or what they felt. A 1,600-foot tsunami. Now, you saw what Ian done down in Fort Myers Beach, of course, if you saw videos and pictures of it. You saw what the hurricane done in the Philippines, what it done in Puerto Rico, and some of those swells were 16 to 18 feet tall. And it wiped out total communities, totally devastated the causeways going down into Florida with water, some of it 12 feet high, some of it 16 feet high, the max 18 feet high. And it was not a radioactive tsunami. So some of the scientists say that if nuclear war ever breaks out, it could take anywhere from 10 to 25 years for the earth to ever recuperate enough for human beings to even live on it. They say that there may be some that will live in the remote pockets of the earth and they might be able to survive a few hundred years and a few hundred over there and they would eke out a living by eating roots and bark and leaves and things like that. 
because the nuclear fallout would go all over the entire earth. Brother Donnie, you're scaring me. Well, if this scares you, you probably need to be scared. But if you're hidden Christ Jesus, it ought to make your heart race. You ought to be saying, praise God, he ain't talking about me. I ain't going to be here when that happens. That's right. But, you know, whenever you look at such a thing, so now we've got Russia that has made their threats to us. And just this last week, China also made their threats to us. And we know that China, Iran, North Korea, and Russia are now big buddies. Now, they hate one another in reality, but yet they have one common enemy. Guess who it is? You. It's you. So they hate America. Now, you know that North Korea sent about five or six missiles just this last week, day before yesterday. They sent one over the island of Japan. It was 600 miles high in the atmosphere. The alarms were going off all over Japan. People were running, screaming, hollering, you know, crying, all this sort of thing because this was an ICBM, which is an intercontinental ballistic missile, which means that it can go, it can travel the oceans, it can travel across the seas from one nation to another. As a matter of fact, they say this one could have actually left North Korea and landed in the West Coast. It could have come to California, to Oregon, to Idaho, to possible parts of Arizona and New Mexico. But aren't you glad it ain't going to affect you? You've got a place. You've got a place. But remember the spirit that people are getting under. Everybody is getting in the spirit of something. So the world itself is going to get into, and there already are, in the spirit of destruction. I found it amazing looking at the stats of crime and the statistics of violence and the statistics of homicides, increase of rape, drug addiction, fentanyl, all this sort of thing. Can you imagine who would have ever thought that our government would felt the need to put out fentanyl warnings around Halloween because the people mainly made in China and they're making fentanyl which looks like candy. And they're making it all different types of cover colors where it will look like Skittles and M&Ms. And they're warning the American citizens to be careful because they're afraid the fentanyl will be passed to their children through these mediums that they will get it in. And where they rest in a lot of them? Coming through our southern border, which our government said is closed. Okay, I, I guess I'm a dummy apparently. But if I understand anything about closed, it means closed but apparently closed don't mean closed to our government since over 2 million have come through under our current administration if you can't pay your bills and you don't have a cell phone and you don't have uh, insurance and all that just go to Mexico and come across you'll get anything you need honey well what are they trying to do you know exactly what they're trying to do they're trying to buy votes And it's so rotten and corrupt. That's why the seventh vision that the prophet saw was our nation blowed to bits. Why? The whole thing is rotten to the core. Is that right? 
And yet we know that in, in all of this there is a great, great thing that is taking place and that is a message sent from God which will be the culmination of all the good prophecies on the side of life. Now we know that God has utterances that he's made that certainly have a negative impact upon the earth and upon people. But we can choose which ones we want. I choose to be on the positive side. I choose to be on the side of the right. Anybody else in here with me? I believe you do. Read with me if you would, and I apologize to you because of the screen, because we just haven't been able to get it set up yet, not sure we will. Revelation chapter 16, verse 18, and I'll go a little bit slower. Instead of uh, reading three seconds fast, I'll slow down to five. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Now, what we're moving to now is to the time before the coming of the mighty Christ in Revelation 19. And we know that there's certain things that must come to pass before the bride leaves in a rapture. And then there's certain things that are left for the opening of the vows. Now, some of those vows actually coincide with the blowing of the trumpets. Now, remember, all seven seals sounded under them one trumpets, and the prophet tied them all together, the trumpets and the seals and the vows. I mean, no, much of that stuff doesn't even pertain to the bride at all. Yet part of it happens, and we know that there's a spiritual side of it that happens, and then there's a natural opening. So the bride certainly lives in a great time, yet a terrible time, as far as the world is concerned. But this is heaven on earth compared to what it's going to be in the tribulation period. Now, if you're not ready tonight, just take my advice, do what you want to with it. I would advise you to lay everything aside until you are full of the Holy Ghost until your soul is sealed to the day of redemption and you know you're ready to fly away and leave this world. Now listen to this. There were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. Now notice God did a similar parallel to this in the book of Exodus chapter 19 verse 16 and it was actually the giving of the law that God had broke open the mountain as it were and the trumpet sounded long and blasted and there was tremendous tumultuous shaking of the mountain and here we find that God is repeating the same thing again. Now he done this whenever he brought the children of Israel out of the land of bondage and we can see from the plagues that part of them will be repeated in the tribulation period. Now, this one actually happens under the seventh trumpet. And it's under a vowel, or our English word is a bowl. So here John sees in a vision, and he sees the seven angels go into the house of God. And when they come out, each one of them has a vial or a bowl. And whenever he comes out and he pours out this bowl, then out of there is not grace, it's not mercy, it's not kindness, it's not love and gentleness, but it is the wrath of God. Now think what we're living under right now, the hurricanes, tornadoes, storms, all that that we see. Uh, our insurance companies, I don't like it at all, they call it an act of God. I beg to differ with them. It's from the prince of the power of the air. But one day God will allow his wrath and the judgment to be turned loose on the earth. You think it's bad now with the devil doing it? Wait till God starts doing it. 
Now, notice whenever this happens, that God is fixing to turn loose judgment upon the earth. And this earthquake was so tremendous. Now, it's not been really that long that man broke into the crust of the earth and began to understand how this ball, which is a sphere, which turns out on the earth 24,000 miles an hour, something like that, makes a complete cycle and a 24-hour cycle. And yet God moving upon her a 1,000 miles an hour, rather, and whenever God made this earth, he did not made it as it were a solid mass of a ball. But God actually made it to where there would be plates underneath the surface of the earth. Now they can go miles deep. But God made them to where that there's plates and they shift back and forth. God didn't need those plates in the beginning when Adam was right. But God knew earthquakes would play a great part of judgment on the face of the earth. He could have made it a solid mass as a meteorite, made it totally an iron core, and made it so solid it would have never moved. But God knew man would fall, and God knew he needed to make the earth in such a way that the pressure would build, and the Eucrasian crust would cross over with a Pacific crust and all of that. And when it would do, they'd go to passing. This is what happens when they go to passing one against the other and then they go to releasing pressure and what it does it just causes great great pressure and it causes an earthquake now but this type of earthquake has never happened since the creation of the earth it will be so massive and so violent that it will absolutely shake everything on the earth down. Now, it will be such catastrophic commotion. Now, listen to what John goes on to say. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. Now, I quoted this to you a couple of weeks ago, that the greatest loss that we've ever had historical record of, as far as an earthquake is concerned, was 830,000. And January the 23rd, 1556, in Xinjiang province in China. But this will pale in comparison compared to what will take place in this earthquake that John saw. Now listen how severe and catastrophic that it will be. Every city on the earth will be shaken down. Every mountain will be brought level. Listen what this is going to do to the entire surface of the earth. Every mountain will be brought down. Every island that is in the oceans and the seas will actually disappear because the increase of the water level. It's going to be something that has never been before. So it will happen. And remember Zechariah prophesied exactly the same thing in Zechariah 14, 4 and 5. So every island will be destroyed. Now we know that God, this is just prior to the millennium. What is this? Prenuptial change of what's fixing to happen on the earth. Now remember, we're fixing to go into the millennium by the time we come to this time frame and the millennium is fixing to dawn and the earth is fixing to go through such a cataclysmic change and it's getting ready for the bride. Amen. Now, what will happen? It will be so catastrophic that the Red Sea, which is the lowest place on the Dead Sea, rather, on the earth, 
that the Red Sea will be brought up. Now, I've stood right there a couple of times, and it's below sea level, the lowest place on the earth, and actually it will be raised from the place that it is, and God will cause the water from the Dead Sea to flow over into the Red Sea. Now, you can find this in the book of Ezekiel. Because God is going to bring the lowest place on the earth up by His quickening power. Now, the whole earth will be changed. Now, remember, we know that God has something in His mind because His earth is His attribute. Now, according to what John saw, he said that Jerusalem would actually be divided, the great city, would be divided into three parts. It will also lead up to the great breaking of the crust of the earth whenever it will happen on the Mount of Olives. Now, notice this, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So the cities of all the nations fell, and the and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, remember, this is prophetic talk, and it's hidden in symbols. And every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. Can you imagine? The Appalachians will totally disappear. I've stood on the top of the Alps, the roof of Europe, as it's called. I've seen some of the large, great mountains of the earth stood near Kilimanjaro a few years ago and flew right by it in a plane. Absolutely breathtaking. The, the Himalayas... The great mountains of the earth will no longer be found. And it will come from such a catastrophic earthquake. Can you imagine what it's going to be? And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell. Now, I find this amazing that they know where it comes from. And you wonder how many of them were atheists. There won't be many of them left when the tribulation period comes. Now, notice, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Now, a hundred-pound hailstone would average out, I found this to a physicist that it did a research and trying to be able to put it in size, but he said it would average around 29.8 inches in diameter, which would be the size of a mountain bike wheel. And if coming from the heavens, it would drop, by the time it come into sea level on the earth, it would be moving at 284 miles an hour. So can you imagine a 100-pound cylinder or cone shape, whatever it would be, 29 and something, something about this size, moving at 284 miles an hour, and you're under it. And you're standing right there, and it hits you, and it hits buildings, and it hits bridges, and it hits the things on the earth, Thank God we'll be gone. So here it comes out of the earth and people that are left alive and there will be some that it will miss. And what do they do? Instead of repenting, Brother Joel, and say, Oh God, have mercy on us. Instead of doing that, they turn and they blaspheme God. 
Now, I find this amazing because the penalty for a blasphemer in the book of Leviticus was stoning them. So what are they doing? Act, Lord have mercy, children, they're acting out their own prophetic destiny. So here the hailstones are coming out of heaven and they are getting in the spirit of destruction so much that they will blaspheme the name of God. You imagine it's coming down, it hits their home, it hits their place of business or whatever more and some of them will actually live and they'll not fall on their knees and repent but turn their fist up to God and shake their fist to God or whatever they will do and they will live out this prophecy. This scripture that you and I have read right here tonight in October of 2022, and this might happen in six months, it might happen in a year, it might happen in 20 years, who knows when it'll happen, but one day this very word will be brought to pass. Well, this is one scripture I don't plan on fulfilling. This ain't my scripture, Brother Paul. No, this ain't mine. Is it yours? No, I don't believe it is either. Hail has been one of God's tools that have been used in destruction. As a matter of fact, to use it in the book of Joshua to be able to discomfit an army that come against the people of God. And God also gave hail, or stones rather, as a punishment for a prostitute. A woman who lived untrue to her husband's vows or adulterers, they were absolutely stoned to death by stones. Oh my goodness. And yet here God is saying that I will crucify. I was crucified. I gave my life. I offered you that price. I offered you full redemption and you turned it down and you built a church and you built a system and you said I was in charge of it but in reality I was not. Therefore you are an adulteress and I will kill you. I will stone you myself with my stones from heaven. Oh my goodness. You see, friend, this is the side of God I don't want to know. Now, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Every one of us can choose which side of God we want to know. Every issue that happens in our life, every one of us have been caught on the wrong side of an issue. Whether it was a family issue, a church issue, you know, a job issue. How many has ever been there? When you found yourself on the wrong side, well... Hopefully, thank God, you're able to recoup and make it right and be able to fix the thing. But when this happens, people will find themselves on the wrong side of the issue, but there'll be no repairing it. Now, you, by the grace of God, on the other hand, were able to see you were lost and God offered you atonement and you accepted not only forgiveness of your sins and pointing you to the cross, but you went on with the work of the cross which started there and God was able, we'll get to it, Lord, willing Sunday, and God was able to reveal to you that the work on the cross was only the beginning of your journey toward heaven. And it did not stop at the cross, Ruth. It kept going right on to heaven until you were called away by the power of God so you didn't just join some church somewhere and say I won't cross you well I've got eternal life I'm once in grace always in grace and whatever I want to do I can do and I just live any way I want to I drink and smoke and lie and cuss and I've got three or four girlfriends and I do this and that and other you're going to wind up going to hell I'm telling you there ain't no way nobody like that's going to walk down the streets of gold but the bride don't think that way the bride knows by the grace of God she don't deserve grace 
Ain't one of us here tonight deserve mercy. We don't have it because we deserve it. We have it because he gives it to us. And if he gives it to me, you better believe I'm going to take it. Oh my. Now watch this. This is positive proof of the depravity of the human beings on the earth by the time this arrives. To be honest with you, I'm not sure they're very far from this today. Friends, people are out of their minds. They're insane. They are insane. Our government trying to spend so much time, our Navy, our military, our our people so worried about what pronoun to use. You don't know where to call anybody a him or a her or a shim or a sham or well you you don't you don't anymore you know you don't know when people walk up to even take your order at a restaurant uh, yes ma'am I mean I try to be kind to people but you don't know if he was a ma'am or he is a ma'am or he's trying to get from a ma'am to a spam to a something other you don't know what they are you know what I'm saying so you're about afraid to say anything anymore because they're rough and got hair on their legs I tell you one thing I've seen some like that and they had purple fingernails don't tell me I've seen a thing today with purple fingernail polish on it. I thought it was a man until I seen its fingers and then I wasn't sure if it was trying to cross over. Well, I'm trying to cross over too, but not to that. Amen. I want to get crossed over and get out of this place. Well, praise the Lord. Oh my, I have no problem with gender. My Bible still identifies gender, so I still say him and her and they and them and she and Praise the Lord. Is that right? I don't figure God has any gender because he said his wife has made herself ready. Is that right? What is it? What is God? God is a male. If you don't like that, well, that's your problem. But we know the generation that we're in. It's gone totally insane. They're out of their mind. Don't you see what they've got to come to? Total depravity of their intelligence. Oh, my. Now, watch. John goes from Revelation 16 there at that closing. To Revelation 17, 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me. Wouldn't have that been awesome? Now, how many believe this happened? How many has proof that it did? Oh, my goodness. Well, has there been any CNN reporters that verified this? Has Wikipedia proved that this angel talked to John? And you all just raise your hand, hundreds of you, that you believe this. And really, we only have one man's word for this. Well, praise the Lord. I ain't ain't too confound and I ain't too deep and nothing like that. But while I look at it, everybody's going to follow somebody. But what's going to get you to heaven is you're following the right one. What'll keep you out is you ain't following the right one. So for me, I have no problem in believing that John actually talked to an angel. Not only that, but the angel talked back. Now he talked with me saying unto me, come hither and I will show unto thee the judgment. Oh goodness, here we go. Of that great whore that set us Upon many waters. Now it's a good thing tonight that all of y'all do not have a remote bleeper. Because from here on out some of you will be bleeping me. But don't bleep me. 
Let me say what the Lord's put on my heart. Now, this is the same noted one that John had already seen in Revelation 2. The same one that he had seen called a couple of different names. She's famous. She's rich. She's wealthy. But God calls her by another name. God calls her a whore. I know that's plain talk. Revelation 2.20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants. I was reading that back there before I come out, and it just hit me. I thought, oh my goodness, So sometimes the people of God can get under seducing teaching. Isn't that amazing? So thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself. Now notice God didn't say he called her a prophetess, but she calls herself that. So you allow her. So this is the church age, of course. And God was rebuking them because the the people of the church age had actually allowed this Jezebel, whatever this is, to teach and seduce some of the servants of God. And some of them apparently believed this false teaching and got off into error. Wow. And God wasn't just rebuking Jezebel, but he was actually rebuking the people that knew better that allowed her to go ahead and teach it and get by with it. Isn't that amazing? People wonder why we have to stand for what's right and scream out. Well, this is one reason why right here. I don't want God ever telling me this. God, Donnie, you allowed this and this and this and you didn't say one thing about it. And you allowed this person to be misled and that one to be misled. As long as I'm in my right mind and as long as y'all will let me, I'm going to do it. If y'all don't let me, I'll stand outside your new church and tell everybody before they come in. How's that? Now notice God says, I have a few things against thee. This message is to the church, this church age, and God has a complaint against the good people, the elect of God. And it was this, not that they had succumbed, to the teaching of Jezebel, but they had allowed Jezebel to teach. Now he said, that teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now remember they're in the transition time, of course, coming out of the Levitical law, but now this is 96 AD when this is written. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the Jews have made the, the transition very easily. The Gentiles had no problem with it, but some of them were still crossing over with what they could eat and they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat shellfish. They couldn't eat this and that and the other. But this is not talking about them being able to eat an ostrich or not being able to eat something with a cloven foot. Uh, but this is talking about the spiritual diet that this woman, whoever she was, called Jezebel, was feeding them. And what she was feeding them was things sacrificed to idols. So it was idolatry, which is demonic worship. Now, what's this in Revelation 14 eight? And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, that great city. 
Now here again another symbol. And we know of course this is not the Babylon of the Old Testament because by this time that Babylon had been destroyed. But God takes cities sometimes as well as individuals and he will take that city and use the characteristics of that city to identify a prophetic symbol, which is what he's doing here. Jezebel was a natural woman in the Old Testament. Jezebel had been dead for a long time by the time John wrote this. But the symbol of Jezebel still existed. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city. Now if you know your Bible, the book of Revelation very well, you know that there's actually two fallings of two Babylons in the book of Revelation. Two fallings of two Babylons. And they're separate identities, but they have characteristics that are so much alike that God calls them both Babylon. Now actually Rome in the days of St. John was the same thing that Babylon was in the days of the prophets of the Old Testament. Watch Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 23. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become a desolation among the nations? Now notice here God is actually writing to the natural city or the natural kingdom of Babylon and God calls Babylon by a name and that name or a trait is a hammer. The hammer of the whole earth. So look at her identity now in the time of Jeremiah. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? So by now, by this time, Babylon is fixing to complete its prophetic part under the days of the prophets and Babylon is fixing to fall and it's already on the brink of that fall now by the time Jeremiah prophesies. So God had actually used Babylon as a hammer to hammer out the nations. So God is saying, how is it that the hammer of the nations is about ready to fall? So Babylon the city, Babylon the Babylonian kingdom of the Chaldees is fixing to come to its end. But the name Babylon and the traits of Babylon are still right here in the book of Revelation. Notice verse 24, I have laid a snare for thee and thou art also taken. O Babylon, thou wast not aware Thou art found and also caught because thou hast striven against the Lord. Now they were a tool at one time, but now they've turned against God. The Lord has opened his, his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Now this is going to happen to natural Babylon as the God of the Old Testament did this to natural Babylon, so the God of the New Testament will do it to the spiritual Babylon and will annihilate them. Notice Jeremiah 51, 7. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. Again, a spiritual symbol. Now, according to chapter 50, Babylon was a hammer in the Lord's hand. But now here in chapter 51, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Again, a spiritual symbol. But watch Revelation 17, 1. 
And now we see another answering to this same prophetic symbol. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that setteth upon many waters. Now we know according to verse 2 on down in verse 3 that she has a cup in her hand. But in the Old Testament, God was the one who provided that cup. In the New Testament, same symbol, but yet it comes about with a total different spiritual significance. Now watch, the the people of the earth are going to be symbolized here in this prophecy, and I'm so glad that I don't fit under it. But I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now the symbol in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, when you see this many waters, is people and nations and kindreds and people. Well, why, well, Brother Donnie, why didn't God just say it that way? He didn't want to. Simple enough, he just didn't want to. He could have said it that way if he wanted to, but God deals with it in such a way. This is why I don't understand message people that don't want to understand prophetic stuff. God talks this kind of language. It makes me fear for people and preachers that don't see a necessity to bring this to the people. I I don't understand it, friends. I just don't understand why people don't think that this has some value. My goodness, we are the people of prophecy. We are a prophetic class of people. Right? That's what the prophet calls us. We are prophetic class. Why would God have sent us a prophet if we were not a prophetic class of people? We had to be changed from the class of people that we were even when we were out there in the church natural and we had to be changed. Our identity caught up with us and we was able to move over not just to where we have the long dresses, the sisters and the brothers don't wear dresses, thank God, and we don't look like this and that and the other. It's not just that that makes us different. My goodness, the Amish don't do that. The Mennonites, the Hutterites, many of them don't do that. The Apostolics down in the South, thank God, many of them still let Mississippi, Louisiana, South Texas, many of those places, they look just as holiness as our message women do. That don't mean they understand nothing about the message of the hour. Holiness is more than the length of your dress. You might have a long dress and have a big old long tongue about that long to go with it, and you still ain't holiness in your mouth. Well, praise the Lord. Now notice the way that John sees this. It it must have been so peculiar and so strange to John. Now, in Revelation 17, 15, if you'd like to write it down, actually the interpretation of the symbol of water is given. So it's given as as a multitude of people and multitude of nations and tongues. But what, what they are, this woman is sitting on top of all these nations and symbolizing her great authority and power. And it was a woman or a church. These people are her jurisdiction. And notice her posture. Now we talked about this Sunday that in the book of Ruth that it was mentioned five times, I believe it was, about people setting. So the posture had something to do with the message they were trying to convey. Notice her position. Notice her posture. She is setting on this multitude of people. We see her, of course, over here in another place in the scripture, and she's sitting on a scarlet-colored beast. But what she's doing, she is setting in a way to project what she is. So she's setting in a posture of harlotry. 
Now it was, you remember the Old Testament whenever the woman Tamar was trying to, to get Judah's attention and, and he, she kept waiting for his, his son and, you know, he married one and he died, married another and he died and said, this woman kills, kills boys like I don't know why. Then away I'm giving her my only son left. So he just wouldn't do it. So what did she do? She put on, she put off her widowhood garments and she put on garments of a prostitute. Now if you think clothes don't speak a language, you need to reread your Bible. So she changed her clothes and put on the garments of a prostitute and then the Bible says that she sat. So she must have sat in a posture which would have been letting men know what she was there for. So she had on clothes that identified what she wanted to say and she would have sat in a certain way. And no doubt when John sees her, it is in the position of harlotry and that is a position to be tempting men. So she's not sitting there with her hands raised like this and praying. She's not down on an altar somewhere. No, she's sitting in a very seductive position in order to make herself appealing. Don't you understand? The church natural does exactly the same thing. You see, when we holler about why we're against organized religion and this and that, and people, I know they don't understand it. And they say, oh my, these people have got so much love and they're so forgiving. And Don't you understand? That's their spiritual posture. They are sitting there in a posture and people look, oh, they got so much love. And they got, love is corrective. Real love will tell you when you're wrong. A man that don't tell you when you're wrong, he does not love you. But in this age we're living, people think love, a preacher that has real love, don't never whip you. He don't never rebuke you. That man needs the Holy Ghost. A man that loves you will wear you out if he really loves you because he don't want to see you lost. Is that right? But this is the posture that people look at it today and they measure preachers that preach hard and straight like John the Baptist. Why well, he ain't got no love. He don't love the people. He don't care for the people. But they measure the posture of those and oh my, you know, they're the kind old priests and they're standing there handing out lollipops and this and that and the other. And that's, oh, thank you for being here today. Oh my, my. Did I say anything to offend you, Brother Earl? Oh, forgive me if I did. I'm so sorry. That's something to forgive you. That's something to forgive you, Brother Greg. I'm so sorry. Uh, please just oh I want to walk so gently around everybody and me burn up in hell me go to the lake of fire and you point your finger at me at hell and say preacher you false prophet you led me down here nope you ain't going to do that to me because I ain't going to be that way is it the straight and narrow is it hard yep but I want to tell you the truth so John sees her and her posture reflects that of her position. Notice verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Oh my goodness. Spiritual adultery. Papal Rome. Brother Donnie, don't forget where you are. I haven't forgotten where I am. Sure to the goodness you didn't think I was going to come over here. Brother Michael told me, he said, you know what? Uh, we might need to start looking at your notes to kind of see what you're going to start preaching. I said, well, maybe I need to start preaching a series on grace. And I'll start with John 3.16 and I'll preach election first because that's what I see in it. <laughs> I'd get in trouble if I preached John 3.16. You see, 
It's projected by their unfaithfulness to God, but it's attributed to their identity with this woman. Lord have mercy, children. Don't you understand what an important thing is? What church you go to? What people you hang around with? Who your friends are? Oh, oh sure, you've got an element of friends out here. Love your business people. And you've got an element of friends out there. But them ain't really your bosom friends, your word friends. You know what I'm saying? Sure, they're business people. And you, you may go out and eat with them and this and that. Sure, be kind to everybody. Be kind and nice to everybody. But there is a camaraderie from the soul that you have with the elect of God, which nowhere compares to the people out here that you shake hands and you text them and they call you and you call them and how you doing, just want to say hello. No, it's something from the soul. But you see, these kings of the earth had done the same thing with this woman, whoever she is. So she's Jezebel, she's a whore, she's Babylon, and she has a lot of drinks to pass out that's making people drunk. Mm. I wonder if we should try to find out who this woman is so we can stay away from her. Should we? You see, the same kind of unfaithfulness and idolatry and corruption that she is noted for, the kings of the earth are also noted with her. So there's been this unholy, ungodly relationship between her and the kings of the earth. So this lets me know right off, this is not the message, people. Now, I've talked to a few kings lately. Kings and priests. But they're not the kings of the earth yet. They will be, Brother Skip. But they're not yet. So... You know, as far as the message, people, the apostolic move, this is not them. So, you know, people are going to leave the message and they're going to spend all their time blasting something horrible. Right, here's you something to blast. You ever heard a message preacher teach about uh, uh, killing anybody, cutting their head off, taking their tongue out? But I can point you to a church that did. I can point you to the Spanish Inquisition. I can point you to the racks where they would tie their arms on one end and their legs on another end and pull until they would pull their arms and their legs off their body. And that was a church. But if you want to spend time blasting somebody that's leading to death, why don't you go to this woman right here in Revelation 17? Because this ain't the message, people. This is not the apostolic move that the Lord Jesus founded in Acts 2. They never killed nobody. They went around healing people. They went around bringing a message of healing to heal people's wounded spirits and their wounded hearts. They never taught nobody how to go around and burn them with tire. They never taught nobody how to be able to kill somebody and pull their eyes out and pull their tongue out. That ain't what we do. That ain't who we are. We are a people of resurrection and love and power We're not the woman of Revelation 17. Amen. Notice John says the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So John sees them and in the vision he must have broke into it and he sees her setting all this multitudes of nations and people and he must have broke into it in such a way that she's Pouring out her cup. And the king of Norway got his. And 
the king of Sweden got his and, you know, the king of England and this one and that one. And John, seeing it, they would go to drinking of that cup and they'd go to staggering around and they would go to making political decisions. And even though we ain't got kings running our nation, they're still just as drunk as the one who had kings are. Oh, yeah. And yet, what did he see? He saw them drunk. But it wasn't wine. It was fornication. So they're guilty of fornication. So what they were drinking was uncleanliness and fornication and adultery. Oh, my. Notice this. Their pleasures. Oh, my. Blind zeal for this system that they would lay their life down for. So he carried me away into the, in the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet-colored beast. Ah, scarlet-colored, okay. So he sees this whore, now in verse 3, He sees a woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast. Beast, of course, represents a power. Full of names of blasphemy. Having seven heads and ten horns. Now watch in Revelation 13.1. John says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now remember this one come up out of the sea, which is people. He saw another one rise up out of the earth where there was no people, which is your nation. And had two little horns, sign of a buffalo. Right? But this one, he says, I saw it stand upon the sea and I saw a beast rise upon the sea having seven heads. And ten horns. And upon his horns, ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name. Notice here the name is singular and the gender is masculine. So it's a he, he, his, he. But by the time it's manifest in Revelation 17, it's a she. So it's his church, his queen. His wife. Who is it? The wife of the devil. Oh my goodness. You see the Roman Empire. One of the heads. On this beast. Was wounded. Unto death. And a miracle happened. And that wound. Was healed. Of course, it changes from pagan to papal. And the deadly wound got healed and raised up. That's really amazing. Some of the Protestant reformers and some of the Protestant theologians still want to place this woman of Revelation 17 under the empire of pagan Rome instead of papal. Bring her on down where she is. So the color, the color is representative 
of this symbol. Now remember, colors in the Bible have a representation. It's amazing, amazing when John sees the bride, he doesn't see her in a scarlet colored robe or purple or crimson. What is the bride dressed in? Fine linen, clean and white. Why? The blood of Jesus fell on her red sins and she don't wear red, she was washed in red. But her red sins being washed in red and she comes out from under that miracle not wearing red, but wearing white. She was changed by the power of God. But the Catholic Church, what was it that one of their main men many, many centuries ago was the first one to give the cardinals the red hats. And then it become a, a color that they would identify themselves with, with scarlet and purple and the crimson color. But it also symbolizes the death of the martyrs. And John looked and he saw and he was able to look down in her cup. He must have been so overwhelmed that he just said, no, it can't be. How can that? She's drunk with the blood of the saints. So John saw her and he must have saw the blood running out of her mouth and the vision and the Spirit of God revealed to him, that's my children's blood. Well, you say, I was never a part of that. Oh, no, you wasn't. You was part of one of her daughters. Well, hallelujah. And some of you wasn't even a part of one of the ecumenical ones. You was part of one of the message ones. Oh, yeah. Don't think we're exempt because we're not, you know, Church of God or Unitarian or Universalist or something like that. Same denominational spirit has got right inside this message. If you don't come to my church, you don't believe what I believe, you ain't going. And who gave you the keys? I thought Peter had them. Well, praise the Lord. It's the same denominational spirit that we want to put people in. We want to put them out. We ain't got no right to put nobody in or nobody out. Let God do the judging. Let's just let us be the bride. Love one another. Pray for people. Do what God wants us to do. Oh my. Notice this. The same beast of Revelation 1. The papal significance of the color symbolizing imperial dignity and honor. Power and authority received from the dragon. Her power came from the dragon. That old serpent the devil, and Satan. But you know who you get your power from? The lamb. We don't get our power from the dragon. We get our overcoming power from the lamb of God. Where do we get our forgiveness? The lamb. Where do we get the ability to love those that hate us? The lamb. Where do we get the ability to turn the other cheek? The lamb of God. But where does she get her power? The dragon. So what's she going to do? She's going to hate. She's going to destroy. She's going to annihilate just like the dragon. I don't mind telling you, I have a major problem with folks around this message who act more dragon-like than lamb-like. I'll tell you, I've run into folks in this message and you just about figure they're just about fire-breathing dragons. 
they, they, they're not nothing like the lamb at all. I mean, they can breathe fire, and they, you, you think you need a knight to come in shining armor to be able to kill them. But further, sister, we're not going in the rapture with that kind of attitude and spirit. Oh, my. Uh, you know, and I, I, I realize it's, it's still a symbol to me of the people of the world, but if they'd only read the Bible, they'd realize that John is able by the Spirit of God to bring out the answer of who this is. For the woman that thou sawest is the city that ruleth over the kings of the earth, which was not Washington, D.C., or Babylon, but Rome. Rome. Oh my. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. It types not only the city of Rome, but the Romish church. The scarlet color. So he carried me away in the spirit, and I saw a woman standing on a scarlet colored beast, having names full of blast, names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the prophet says it this way The heads which thou sawest are seven hills on which the woman setteth. Now he's reading from the book of Revelation. Rome sits on seven hills. No mistake about it. Seven heads, ten horns. And you know the ten are ten kingdoms. Now remember, there will be ten dictators as we come over to when the vials and the trumpets will merge together. This is post-rapture now. After the rapture. And there will be ten dictators. They will join together under this ecumenical. Friend, if you only realize. If you only realize. I saw a thing the other day and they were going through the streets of Jerusalem and Bethshean and Bethlehem. And asking different Jews, rabbis, different ones, are you looking for the Messiah? And as I told you about the heifers that they've got, and that they've got five of them now, not one flaw in them, not one white hair, brown hair, nothing at all, just solid red heifers. Them red heifers are one year old. They cannot be offered, their ashes be used as a cleansing sacrifice until they are at least two years and one day old. In one year's time, they can offer these red heifers. You say there's no temple. They don't need one. They've actually already bought a place on the Mount of Olives. They can offer the sacrifice of the red heifer on the Mount of Olives and get ready for the sanctification of the third temple. There's only been nine of these red heifers from the time of Moses up to where we are now. And the Jews and the Talmud and other writings of the Jews say the Messiah will offer the tenth one. They are under such anticipation looking for the Messiah. You said that's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful for us, but it ain't too wonderful for them. Because you know who they're going to crown as the Messiah? Satan himself. And I saw these brother being a, a rabbi and priest and different ones and they're saying, yes, the Messiah is coming. Here's the red heifer. We're under anticipation and we're going to build the third temple and it will be the house of prayer. It will bring everybody together. They were standing there under this ecumenical voice. It was alarming to hear him say it. I thought, Lord have mercy. We are closer than I ever even dreamed myself. This is what they're looking for and they're believing the Messiah will come and when he comes... He will be the man of sin. But he will sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. 
and the Jews except for 144,002. Oh, glory. Oh, glory to God. And there'll be two on the earth preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost, preaching the token, preaching the same gospel that we believe today, Moses and Elijah, and 144,000 will get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the rest of the Jews will kill them. Sounds about right. They will absolutely hate these people and they'll kill Moses and Elijah, Revelation 11, and their bodies will lay in the streets called spiritually Sodom and Egypt. The Bible says, well, so our Lord was crucified, Jerusalem, and their bodies will lay there for three and a half days and the spirit of life from God entered back into them and they raised up and they had their own personal private rapture, sent them right back up into heaven. And whenever they go up, oh my, you talking about all hell breaking loose. What's it going to be? Then the beast will turn, but it'll be too late. And they will have made a covenant. Israel will have made a covenant with him and it will be Satan himself. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. So I ask you, What spirit are you getting under? Everybody's under one. And there's only two in the earth today, the spirit of God and the devil. And his mechanics are already working just like ours. When we come to church and you may say, well, I didn't get that much out of church tonight. But you know what? You said under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and you heard the word of God and maybe God was adding little mechanics on the inside of your soul and you didn't even realize that you got something. And then down the road a week or two or three, you'll think, my goodness, that's what, I didn't think I got nothing out of that service. And there it was, praise the Lord. So God was building more mechanics. It's the same way with the world church, with the government. It's all got to come together, friends. Satan knows he's got such a short time. He's doing everything he can. He's like a dog on a chain. But you've seen dogs on a chain and you know how they are. They get out there and they run that whole length of that chain. They'll have that ground as as bare as it can be because that's as far as they can go. There won't be one sprig of grass or nothing else because they're pounding out their turf and that's what Satan is doing. And he's held right now, and I found a quote today. Oh, it just beautifully explained it. And the prophet said the very reason that he can do it, the reason that Satan can accuse us is because we have a mediator on the throne. So when God removes the mediator, Satan can't accuse us no more, and then it's time for the bride to get her body changed. So it all synchronizes together. The mechanics of the bride's coming together. What are we waiting for? The dynamics, the refilling of the Holy Ghost, which we've worked in part while the headstone has been descending. Oh, don't you love him? How many wants under the Spirit of God, Spirit of resurrection, Spirit of forgiveness, Spirit of Christ? No, take all this old drunkenness. Take all this old stuff of Laodicea. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we don't say these things tonight out of sarcasm or to be judgmental or harsh. Every one of us standing here tonight at one time operated under that spirit of the world, cosmos, We were drunk even on natural alcohol, natural things of the world, or drunk on spiritual wine, doctrines, falsehoods. But Lord, 
you got us real sober one day. You didn't want us to make a decision when we was drunk. You sobered us up just long enough to accept you. Praise the Lord. You wanted us to be sane and sensible and sober. So you spoke to us, Father. Praise the Lord. And that old husband of ours died. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And ever since, we've been feeding on heavenly manna. Oh, Jesus, I pray if there's one year tonight that is not sold out to you, Father. While the world is riding on this scarlet-colored beast, Rebecca is riding on a camel. She's following this Eliezer back into the tent of Isaac. Oh, I'd like to finish that story sometime. Whenever she looks out in the field at the setting of the sun, and she sees a man coming, and she asks Eliezer, Who is this that cometh to meet us today? And he says, It is my master. The Bible says she took a veil and wrapped herself up in, and she lighted off the camel. I love that because she was on the back of the camel and the camel was walking. She didn't even wait for the camel to get down on his knees. So she was seven feet, seven and a half, depends on which one it was, eight feet high. But she was so excited to meet her husband. She lit right off the back of that camel, landed on both feet and took off running. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus, what it'll be one day when our bodies will be changed. We'll say goodbye, world, goodbye. Hallelujah. When our mortality will be swallowed up of their mortality. Praise God. And we'll fall into the arms of our precious Lord. And we'll go sailing out of this world. Goodbye, world, goodbye. Oh, Jesus, if there's one here tonight that's not ready. Help them, I pray. Lord, those of us that have been Christians for a long time now and been serving it, help us not to get to a state of complacency, but help us to realize Satan will try his best to corrupt our attitude, corrupt our spirit. Is it any reason, really, that we're going to be tried like never before? Is it any reason that even people that are close to us, maybe, friends, loved ones, relatives, maybe even people that we go to church with, And Satan will try to bring something between us that will cause us to get an attitude that it will make our spirit dirty. Make our attitude dirty, Lord God. Keep it from us, I pray, Father. No matter how people treat us, no matter what they do to us, Lord, we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be so much like you that we don't even wait for them to ask us to forgive them. But we, from our hearts, forgive them like you did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we have no record that they even ask for forgiveness. But you ask for it anyway. Make me like you, Lord. Lord God, I've seen you take my hands. And I've laid hands on cross-eyed and watch them get straightened out. I've laid my hands on one of our brothers several years ago in the middle of a heart attack. I hear at the medical center. And watch you stop that heart attack in seconds. I've laid hands on people with tumors 
and get a report in a few days, the tumor had disappeared. Oh, that's the works you've done. But I don't just want them works. I want to love like you. I want to forgive like you. Oh, grant it, Lord God. How many of us have the type of character that if a situation was put in our hands like the young man and young woman that were misbehaving in the prophet's service and he spoke to them and spoke to them and finally they were just so interrupting and the Spirit of God said, whatever you say, if that was given to us tonight and we could use it on whomever we would, what would we say? Maybe it's someone that's ripped our heart out of us and you would give us the word and say, Whatever you say tonight will happen. Oh, Jesus, I would only want to say what you would say. Healing the sick, laying hands on people with tumors, that's wonderful. But I want to move into that higher realm. Brother Branham, when he went beyond the curtain of time, he didn't see none of them folks performing miracles. He didn't see none of them casting out devils. But what he experienced was what he called perfect love. And he said, you have to have it to get there. So it wasn't like you get it once you get there. You actually get it here. And it takes you there. Oh, Jesus, help us tonight, Father. Let me raise your hand and say, Lord, that's what I want. I want perfect love. I don't want imperfect love, Lord. I don't want imperfect love. I want perfect love. Oh, Lord God, help me. Lord Jesus, help me to be lucky. Lord God, if I'm ever confronted with such a situation that somebody's life would be placed in my hands, what would happen to them would be placed in my care. Help me to say the right thing. The ultimate of all tests. Oh Jesus, we want to be like you. I have to say tonight, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of you. Oh, I don't want just power to lay hands on your children and watch them get well. I don't want just authority to speak to the demon possessed and watch them tremble and shake and that devil come out tearing out of their bodies. But Lord God, I want to have such love. Lord Jesus, that's the way your prophet said we cast out devils. as with love. Oh, grant it, Lord. Can we just raise our hands tonight? Just however you want to say it to him. But basically just, Lord, let me love like you. Let me have perfect love. This is the capstone. This is the capstone. Oh, Jesus. Lord God, I worship you. Lord God, we don't want to drink of the wine of her cup. But Father, may our cup be filled with love, forgiveness, mercy, revelation, prophetic understanding. Fill my cup, Lord God, with all your goodness. You told us that a good scribe, a good householder is one who brings out of his bag and out of his treasures things old, things new. So a man who preaches only things that are old needs his bag open further. 
He needs a mixture. Sure, let's go to the old past and seek them out. But Lord, we know if every person here tonight is saved, why do I need to preach salvation? If every person here tonight is filled with the Holy Ghost, why do I need to preach the Holy Ghost? So I need to preach something that will help them to move higher, to move closer. Everybody has a cup in their hand tonight, Lord. Fill mine, Jesus. I raise it to you, Lord. Here's my cup. I don't want to be drunk on the pleasures of this world, but fill me with mercy. Fill my cup, Lord Jesus, with kindness. Anybody with me tonight that the way you feel? Oh, Jesus, we worship you, Lord God. I bless your name. I bless your name. Great Adonai. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus, in the presence of perfect love, may the sick receive their healing. Lord God, I bless your name. Jesus, those that are bound in the presence of perfect love, may they be delivered. Maybe some have a grudge. Maybe they have, they're having a hard time dealing with someone in the presence of perfect love. May they find themselves just engulfed tonight in the presence of God. Oh, Jesus. I worship you. I worship you, my Father. Let's just praise Him, saints. Oh, don't you sense that awesome, wonderful presence of God? Oh, Lord God, I worship your name. I bless you right now, Father. I lift my voice with theirs in the presence of God. Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. But Brother Donnie, I'm going through a battle. I'm going through a trial. You know what? Right here tonight, you might be able to praise your way right out of that valley. You know, you just praise your way right out of it. Where you just bless him and worship him. Remember God had brought Job through several different stages of coming out of that trial. And the last phase of Job's victory was when God told him to pray for his friends. They'd run him down. They'd blasted him. They'd done all kinds of things to him. They'd ruined his reputation, his honor. But yet part of Job's deliverance was praying for his brothers. I wonder myself if part of that wasn't for Job's own attitude. Well, he's still fighting a little battle, you know, just, man, these guys are supposed to be my brothers, and they've done this and that and the other to me, and they hurt me, and I, I don't know what in the world's going on. There was something connected to Job himself, because the Bible says God delivered him. When Job prayed for the captivity of his friends. So when Job prayed for them, he found himself delivered. 
If you're going through a terrible thing tonight, I'll tell you, I found a great thing myself many years ago. I can focus on what I'm going through and spend all my time praying for me and poor little me, or I can find out all the needs of others and go to praying for them. And when I'm praying for them, I find myself being delivered at the same time. Why? Eternal life is living for others. Oh, Jesus. Hey, sing whatever's whatever's on your heart. Almighty God, we bless your name right now, Father. Let's just forget where you are. I know it's a little bit hard. I know it's a public place and all that. But I believe the presence of God that lives in our heart is going to be with us here. These meetings, we're going to have to be here and sanctify this room or these rooms with His presence. I think He's already proved it to us. He ain't nervous about meeting us in this this public place. I think He's already proved to us He wants to be right here every service. He wants to speak to us. He wants to anoint us. He wants to love us. And I think He wants to love us for us to love Him back. I don't know about you, I ain't ashamed in this place tonight to raise my hands and say, I love you, Lord. I worship you, blessed God. Hallelujah. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Right now. I need you, Lord. just tell him whatever you need friends he wants to pull you up close to him or hear him whisper to you I'm the Lord God that heals you I'm the Lord God that delivers you right now yes I am oh I need you Lord I need you Lord Right now, right now, right now, I lift my hands, bow my knees, and worship the Lord God. Everybody, with all your heart, just open up to him now. Oh, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Right now, 
for my healing, for my deliverance, for my touch, for my refilling. I need you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, I do, Lord. I give myself away. I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. Use me, Jesus. I give myself. I give myself. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's give ourselves away to God, saints. Your voice, your job, your vocation, your mind, your ability. Give it to Jesus. Take it, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I ain't got much, but what I've got yours, Lord. It ain't much in my hands. It won't do anything. But take it, Lord God. So you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away. So Away, Lord God. So Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We love you, Lord. Don't you love him at all your heart? Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So you can use me. I give myself away.
Brother Tim's started tonight, and we certainly want to be praying for them that the Lord will be with them. I was supposed to be there this week to be a part of the meetings, but I just felt like since we was, you know, just kind of in this transitory stage where we are at having to leave our church building and all that, I, I just called him and told him I, I felt like I wanted to stay home with my sheep. And uh, Brother Tim was so, so gracious, he said, I think that's the right thing to do. So he said, I think I would do the right thing. So I said, you want me to call Brother Ron or you want to call him? <laughs> no, he said, you go ahead and call him. So I called him too, and they were both so, so understanding. So I was supposed to be gone tonight and this weekend, but Lord willing, I'll be here again this weekend. So let's, let's just pray for them. It's going to be a wonderful time down there. I'm sure it is. So I think the Lord's got enough power, though. Come on, brother. To where he can bless them yes, and still have a little dab to pour out for us. And she, <laughs> and, uh, let's just bow our heads together and we'll, we'll go. Lord Jesus, thank you so much tonight for your presence. I know it seems kind of strange preaching on such horrible things that's going to happen after a while, and yet you would come down with such a precious anointing. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. God, we pray that you'd help us and help our loved ones, help our families. Each one of us have people backslid, maybe some lost. Bring them in, Jesus. Bring them in, Jesus. We believe, Lord, the time is so close. Bring them in, Father. We commit our lives, commit the lives of my sheep here to you, Father, till we gather again here Sunday. Pray that you just bless us and meet us again. And you see 
Lord is having to kind of break it up a little bit. It just breaks my heart for us to have to do it this way. But that's the only thing I know to do, Father. But we know we'll get past this time. You knew this would happen. We didn't know it for sure, but you did. But we know that you'll help us through. We thank you for, I'm grateful, Lord, that we could have this place where we could be able to meet together. It was getting really scary. Brother Larry looked and drove around and looked for us and looked and spent so much time on the phone. Others looked and looked, and we just wasn't sure what was going to happen. But just like you, you made a way. Where at? Holiday Inn. Holiday. Time of festival. Inn, a place where people can come in and stay. Me and Carol passed it Monday. She said, well... Over there's where we're having our church. I said, yeah, right now the Feast of Tabernacles is going on in Israel. And that's kind of what we're doing. We moved out of our house, fixing to move into our new house. So we're having church in the Feast of Tabernacles. <laughs> and we're so grateful that we care, Lord. We remember when COVID was going on and we couldn't even come together. We're so glad that we can assemble, Lord. Go with us now, Father. Watch over your children, we pray. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Love you so much. God bless you. You want to come up and close this, buddy? Well, I really didn't want to preach tonight either, but I did. Is this is this platform better from almost everybody? Good. I actually put three extra miles on my legs on Sunday because as I was preaching, I seen people doing this. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to cover them. So I walked way over here and way over there. So I got less miles on tonight. I feel, I feel better. <laughs> we appreciate the people providing this for us too. Donnie, thank you for that wonderful message, buddy. Praise the Lord. Good, wasn't it? Amen. We've got hope. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's sing it. Well, I think you need to go. Let's help Brother Harry sing this. The Lord gave me this song a long time ago, but I love to hear it. Every time he sings it, I love it. The Spirit and the Bride sing come. The elect being stirred inside their heart. Our uniting time has come, we and the Father are one. Soon we'll be with our Lord forevermore. Oh, the light has come, the bride is making preparation. She's hearing the shout. Granted to her, she is washed in the blood of God's own Son. With the righteousness 
that's not our own. We stand just before His throne, where we'll reign with our Lord forevermore. Oh, even light has come, the bride is making preparation. She's hearing the shout. morning, 11 o'clock, A through L, we'll be seeing you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Be safe going home. God bless you. Place in the way, brother. The evening light has come.